Uh, so why are you guys here? I mean, this is uh, a weird topic to talk about. <clears throat> what you thinking? What you want to get from this class, huh? I don't understand. You don't understand I'm something? Not, I'm very certain. Oh, okay, great. What it is, right? Yeah. It's definitely not a um, cultural virtue much anymore, right? Uh, I think we can get, get away with that. So we still have some sense of self-control. It's kind of important. Uh, but the whole idea of self-denial seems almost counterintuitive to our society's uh, idea that, you know, pleasure over pain, don't ever do anything that's painful. Painful things happen to you. They don't, uh, aren't something you ought to seek out, you know? You got a thought, Tyrus? Some reason why you're learning about this? What was the question? Uh, why are you here? Why am I here? Yeah, why are you here? I have a, I don't know how to think about self-denial. Okay. To what extent do you do that? Right, sure. Sure. One of the quick little theological terms I'll teach you real quick, which is kind of an important one if you ever read a theology book, but it's uh, under or over-realized eschatology. Uh, so over or under-realized eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the kingdom of God, uh, particularly of Jesus' kind of coming back. So over-realized eschatology basically just means you think that this life is going to be a little bit more like heaven than the scripture says it will be. <laughs> and underrealized is you, uh, you know, sort of think everything in life is terrible and there's no aspect of the kingdom uh, uh, of heaven here. So if you remember back to uh, some of the stuff that you guys have studied with the uh, almost but not yet or what is that? Already? Or already not yet? It's kind of that same idea. It's just a simpler way of saying it. People who have traditionally been over-realized eschatology tend to come from uh, sort of uh, the Pentecostal backgrounds where health and wealth and all that stuff ought to happen now and your life should be the best life. And then the you know, kind of puritanical traditions where the under-realized where you ought to be an ascetic and, uh, and if you've heard that word a couple times now, it just means kind of a, a constantly denying yourself, sort of living apart from all the pleasures of the world, that kind of thing. So, you know, you know in Christianity, there's been a tension between the two, exactly like you said. It's hard to know sort of how to do that and where to go. One of the things I want to uh, tell you about is that, uh, you know, there's been a ton of great writers talking about self-denial throughout the ages, and actually most of them tend to be women. Uh, and one of the reasons is because women have sort of been forced to deny themselves uh, in years past because... You know, they didn't have a self in some ways. And what I found in reading a lot of, and a lot of them are, are what are called Christian mystics. So they, they, they could be Catholic, they could be Pentecostal, they could be um, any of the traditions, but they have this sort of mystical view uh, of God, which basically just means kind of more spiritual, spirit-filled, not all theology, not all facts and evidence. And um, yeah, so it's, it seems like women... Uh, some of these Christian scholars uh, and, um, and theologians, they've been forced to deny themselves. And so they've used that unhealthy cultural aspect to lean into God more and to write some just really wonderful stuff about self-denial. So a couple of the ladies last week that I mentioned um, are, are particularly really interesting. Uh, Madame Sherman, 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 and Guillaume, what? Uh, I don't really remember how to spell her name. I think it's S C H U R M A N N. Sherman, Madam Sherman. N N. Two N's. 
and then Guion, G-U-Y-O-N. One happened to be a you know, very famous academic that got um, kind of blacklisted, and the other was a spiritual advisor for the king that got imprisoned because of some of their writings about self-sacrifice and, and self-denial. That's where you get the term self-annihilation, which is a crazy one. A little bit too, too far, maybe, for some. So anyway, so that's an important point, and uh, you know, the idea that uh, a lot of women writers have kind of had to get a grasp of this. And then it made a lot of people pretty uncomfortable. Uh, so to talk about self, oh, any others, just for sake of why you're here, what you kind of, if you have anything specific, I always like to try to figure out if there's something you expect to talk about so that we can maybe talk about it. No, nothing? Just here as blank slates? I'm um, with, like, like, theoretical, so we can get the idea, but then also some practical. Yeah. Like, specifically, like, Sure. Yeah, and so the way that we're kind of going to do that is um, today will be a little bit more of the teaching, and then the 24th maybe a little bit more of the practical stuff. But we'll try to incorporate both. Um, and I've asked Vianette and Chelsea, uh, because I think this area tends to fall under uh, the kind of counseling and social work and how to take care of yourself, and self-care is a big thing in those fields. And so we'll, you know, I think they'll have some insights for you guys on the, some of the more practical stuff as well. So, yeah. Uh, so let's get going. Um, so, you know, self-denial, number one, ought to probably be separated from self-control and self-sacrifice. In the scripture, all three of these hold different meanings. You know, self-control is pretty much an inward kind of thing that you're trying to keep yourself from just following after, you know, the passions and desires that are either ill-informed or inappropriately um, practiced, whatever. Yeah. Whereas, hello, y'all sitting in? Come on. Whereas self-sacrifice is, oh yeah. So all you missed is basically, if you really want to learn more about self-denial, read women, uh, Christians throughout the ages, because they've been forced to deny themselves and have a really interesting perspective on that. Um, yeah, that's all. So, self-control uh, self is kind of an inward thing, and it has more to do with the sort of passions and, you know, holding yourself in check. Self-sacrifice tends to be a more, very much more kind of extreme virtue in Scripture, and it often deals with evil people, that you're sacrificing yourself for the sake of evil people. So, for instance, when you read Matthew 5, and it's talking about someone takes your cloak, you know, uh, give me your tunic too, or forces you to walk one mile, walk another. Too many Christians have read into those passages as, oh, well, self-denial is just I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to sacrifice what's good for me for the sake of someone else. And I'm not really for sure that meshes well with either the golden rule or the idea that Jesus wants us to treat people as he treated uh, people. And um, so, the, so you've got the self-sacrifice on the one end, and I think that's kind of the whole idea that you are really sacrificing yourself for someone else. Um, and then the self-denial, you know, can kind of incorporate both of those, but it's, it's the more important, um, I think, thing to mention that it's like a kind of an overall thing. So a self-denial, I mean, in order to self-sacrifice, in order to have self-control, you have to, you know, sort of be good or be decent at self-denial. These are kind of the basic traits to even do that. Um, not all self-sacrifice is... Uh, or oh, not all self-denial, self-sacrifice or self-control, those kind of fit into it. It's like the square and the rectangle. 
Does that make sense? Yeah? No? Possibly? Sure. Fine. Great. Then we not talk about it too much. Just the idea that the scripture doesn't you know, put all of these things together and lump them in as you know, every time you deny yourself, that means self-control or that means self-sacrifice. These are specific aspects of it. And like anything, it isn't good in and of itself. So we talk a lot around here about spiritual disciplines, and spiritual disciplines are basically just building blocks, things that you practice so that you can do the more important virtue, Christian virtues uh, in life. So self-denial can be a very, very dangerous thing, uh, just as much as it can be a good thing. But it's not a virtue in and of itself, okay? at least not a Christian virtue. Uh, so with that, we have to recognize that not all self-denial is sort of good or good for us and can be kind of dangerous if we're not careful. But self-denial definitely helps us do a number of things. And, you know, the list could go on. One of the first things is get our thoughts on board with God's thoughts, right? Because we're denying listening to just our voice or someone else's voice or historical voices and emptying ourselves so that God can fill us with his voice. And I think that's how most of the writers have written about this idea, is that the first thing that self-denial gives us isn't an ability to do something, it's an ability to hear from God. When I can empty myself, uh, which is really kind of self-denial, if you want to think about it as something else, it's, it's self-emptying, I, get, I have an opportunity to actually hear from God. And sometimes hear from other people, too. But the act of emptying ourselves is very, very challenging. We did a, a book by William Bloom on prayer, beginning to pray, and he still has this one line that just still always sticks out with me. And he just says, you know, go try to spend 30 minutes on your own without doing anything, without thinking about anything, with just kind of sitting there. A lot of us think that we have this deep well within us that we can just sit and ponder and be comfortable with. But really, we're almost always, and this is so true of my life, interacting with the external world. Everything that we do is some external thing uh, telling us to do something, that, this, the other, but we're actually not that full uh, when we think about it. We're mostly just reacting to the world around us. And, um, and he says that's the beginning of learning how to pray and listen to God, is being able to truly empty yourself of you and the things that are going on and be able to just kind of stop and recognize. He, he would say how empty you really are, uh, but especially apart from God. It is challenging. You just try to do that for 30 minutes, you know. Stop your thoughts. Stop doing anything external. I mean, you can walk around, but um, there are a lot of attitudes uh, that, uh, that go into that that are really hard for us to, to kind of accomplish. And speaking of, one of the real important points I think both of those ladies I mentioned talked about is they weren't near as interested in ascetic practices as much as they were in ascetic attitudes. And I think that's where in self-denial, you know, you want practical applications, but this is one of those topics where practicals can get pretty dangerous because then we're just doing behavior and the behavior isn't backed by any real point. It's just, I'm gonna think, okay, I'm gonna do this X, Y, and Z and then I'm gonna become someone who's good at self-denial. But again, if you've got the outward appearance of self-denial but not the inward kind of motivation of it, it's really not that gonna be that helpful. Not, not in a Christian sense. I mean, it might help you in some ways. Uh, but uh, but they were much more interested in ascetic attitudes than they were in just ascetic practices. And if you read anything about the early church fathers or the desert fathers, <laughs> it seems they were more interested in ascetic practices, extreme ascetic, pra ascetic practices, than they were necessarily ascetic attitudes. Trying to kind of standardize the process so everybody could be, you know, 
quick to deny themselves by like standing on a pole with one leg for days at a time or not eating. It's all kinds of fun stories about the early church fathers. Good stuff. Okay, so that's kind of a quick little primer on it all. Questions thus far? Sorry. Oh, you're fine. Okay, so I've got kind of three things uh, in the outline that I'd, I'd like to say. Some of this will make more sense of what we already talked about, but let's go to John 10, 1 through 18. Do, 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 do. So I picked kind of the three most, I don't know, recognizable passages of self-denial, and I want to kind of talk through maybe some of it that maybe we haven't seen before or maybe noticed before. So 10, 1 through uh, 8, I think. You guys there? Uh, oh, it might be 18. I wrote 18, so it looks like it's 18. So I'll, uh, I'll read it real quick. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all out, out all his own. He goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Um, oh, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. So this might seem like a passage that has to do more with self-denial, but like, uh, I mean, self-sacrifice. But actually, I think... Um, if, again, if you read through some of the passages of Scripture that talk about self-sacrifice, it's often sacrificing with the end in mind for an evil person that's making you do something and you just sort of give them one cheek to hit and then the other cheek. All right? I think what Jesus is really talking about here, at least in part, are really two things. One is that he's chosen to deny himself okay, for the sake of others, which is really important. Because self-sacrifice, when it's marked by the idea that it's something that we respond to in force doesn't really become self-denial, it's just sacrificing, um, and we often don't have a choice. But I think the thing that's more important here is self-denial ultimately uh, empowers us rather than weakens us. And I think that's one of the true tests of self-denial, and an important note in our day is that... Um, that self-denial will always end up in our good. And not just sort of like, oh, in heaven, or you know, a long time, someday at some point, but it, it, self-denial actually empowers us. When Jesus talks about, I, I lay down my life only to take it back up again, 
and that he's come to give you know, people life and life to the fullest, he's talking about self-denial as uh, something that brings about our good. Okay? And if we're going to follow him in that, then it does bring about our good. And I think that's one of the really hard things about self-denial to get past because we tend to think about self-denial as only painful, only bad, and it's hard for us to think of what could the outcome be of self-denial. So just in terms of brainstorming here, what are some ways that self-denial that you can imagine, you've experienced yourself, actually bring about our good? Peace, joy, strength. How do they actually empower us to, you know, to live? Sure. So maybe a better way of putting that is what kind of self-denial actually strengthens us? What kind of, of self-denial actually strengthens, not weakens? And you could talk about the inverse, too, if you want, of what self-denial weakens us. One of those many paradoxes of Scripture. We deny ourselves only to take up our life again. It empowers us, strengthens us. Definitely releases you to uh, Henry Nguyen talked about this a lot. You know the idea that uh, that when you can stop and kind of deny, you know, your immediate and urgent thoughts, you begin to kind of care a little bit more about people in the world around you. Uh, if you don't know, I mean, he's one of the ministers that worked basically in a uh, adults with disabilities daycare and just wrote a, a lot of really great stuff about self denial and about um, being able to empty yourself for the sake of others. Yeah. Is this like? Could be, yeah. It could be personal. It could be not. Doesn't matter. Oh yeah, I think of like um, living situation like with roommates. With like roommates, like living with other people, or even just being friends to other people. Like we're like learning. At least I feel in our house, we're learning like what it means that things like we don't make sure that things are fair for us. I guess, I don't know what I'm saying, but you know what I'm saying, like, we're not, like, so concerned that things aren't fair personally for trying to, like, bring about, or it's, like, a tough lesson learning, like, doing something for someone else is good, like, when it's inconveniencing to yourself, or, like, when it doesn't come out fair, or you might not be, like, you know, a fair result or a fair outcome, but, like, you know, and this is, this is, like, such a small, I don't really know if this is, like, Well, one of the reasons that's so important is because in any relationship, if you expect a 50-50 exchange, you know, you're, you're really, that's one of the most kind of shallow acquaintance level connections you can have with someone, right? So when you're married, that's not going to happen. It's, uh, it's seasons when you want to have good friends, you're going to have seasons. Uh, sometimes someone's giving more than the other or whatever, and even from moment to moment. And so in terms of how that empowers and strengthens us, it allows us to be um, more readily 
kind of close to a variety of different people and a variety of different stages in their life. And if we thrive off of human connection, then we don't always have to demand our, you know, getting filled back or, you know, being, um, having some immediate return on our investment into someone else's life. And so that's a, that's a huge strength. It empowers us. It empowers us not to have to be so consistent. Um, because what happens, I think, in a, what I've seen at least, is the, the less people have the ability to relate with a lot of other people, the more they place a huge burden on one or two people in their life. And that's just not how we're supposed to live, you know? Um, and so that can create a whole lot of problems and issues just from that. So that's a great point. Maybe one more. Self-denial, how it strengthens us. Mm-hmm. And um, what would end up happening is she would just crash at the end of like going, going, going because she was serving others and doing that. <coughs> but instead, she realized that God is not asking her to deny that she's a human and that she has needs, or rather that He's going to know how to take care of her and if He can teach her what she really needs to be refreshed and to really um, get have energy to. Um, do things for other people. I mean, I can send the article because it was really good and explains it a lot better than I can. But I really appreciated that. Oh, yeah. That it's more than just, it means I'm not human. It's I can take care of myself and take care of other people. Yeah. And I think that is one of the hard things about self-denial is that we we immediately, if we think back to like ascetic practices or thinking kind of primarily about the physical world and the physical things that we ought to deny ourselves on, and yet those things are often in, painted in scripture as an opportunity, like for instance, Jesus saying, I have food that you don't know of after he's spent this time with the Samaritan woman, an opportunity to bridge the world between the physical kind of and spiritual, for lack of better words, when we do these physical things, if we just do them and it's just physical, like you said, it's completely draining. But if we have an ability to manage those things as opportunities to kind of grow close to God, grow close to someone, understand a need around us, it be, God can make it very filling. And that's where you have to be really, um, I don't know, cognizant probably of just the sort of overlap of those two. You know, Paul talks a lot about not getting sleep, getting beaten. You know, how do we deal with that? He doesn't tell people he, they ought to go do the exact same thing. <laughs> but he also, in that passage, talks about how he's learned to be content. There's this capacity that grows as a result of being able to deny yourself. What five years ago would have looked like a huge deal for you to deny, you look back and think that's silly. Again, another thing that empowers and helps us grow is it's a capacity to handle an emptying of ourselves, whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, whatever. Um, that capacity gets filled up by God who allows us to kind of go a sleepless night or go three appointments in a row with people who absolutely drain us or you know whatever it is, right? That capacity is being built up. Um, of emptying ourselves. So the second thing that I wanted to talk about, so the first one is that, uh, you know, that uh, self-denial empowers us rather than weakens us. Uh, the second part is that, it, and I think we've already kind of alluded to this some, is that it's really useless apart from a desire for God to recreate us. And not, not even, useless is probably not it's too strong, but it's, it's just ineffective for a Christian apart from a desire for God to recreate us. And I want to explain that a little bit more. Let's go to Luke 14, 25. So it's, it's ineffective uh, for 
you know, um, apart from a desire for God to really recreate us. Uh, I think it's 14 to 25. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Luke 14, 25. All right. So large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying the person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't you first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, this is a strange section. And it's interesting that uh, you know Luke would put it here because it kind of goes back and forth. It, again, it's sandwiched with the beginning part of saying you've got to hate everyone, including yourself. The end part with you can't really follow me. Uh, if you don't give up everything. But then in the middle is this weird example, two examples of, you know, building a building and preparing for war. What do you make of that? Do you have any sense of how that could possibly connect? Because <laughs> we know those statements, those extreme statements, but Jesus is often, or obviously trying to teach a point to a large crowd of people who've come around him. Any sense of how that would make sense? Don't feel like... Uh, if there's a wrong answer, let's just try to figure it out. So with the idea that you have to prepare, like, um, like you're preparing to be a disciple by like denying like your family and and like the people around you, and then when you're going to war, it's like the idea that you have to be prepared for what's coming. Yeah. sum it up? Yeah. I'm just, yeah, agreeing with what they said, but like, yeah, um, there's someone, something someone else said about like being, or willing to sacrifice like, Becca, okay, um, willing to sacrifice like small things that maybe aren't like as urgent or like as aren't as huge uh, helps to set up or just like helps you to lead a life of Like willingness, and then it's gonna crumble 
when it actually matters or when it actually counts. So. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. All of them. Any others? Closing in? I don't think for me it's like, that, this is what I take from it, it's like, are you doing something out of selfish ambition or is it more out of a desire? Like, basically, like, where's your heart in it when you're deciding to do these things? Like, it's, and I think Jesus' practical statements in this because build a building, there's a lot you have to invest in that. And same with planning to go to war, both are interesting because war, it could be for a selfish reason Yeah, these are great thoughts. I think, um, you know, the, the, I guess the irony with the self-denial stuff is we actually do a lot of self-denial at all times, but we do it for the sake of getting something that we think we're going to get out of it, right? So the self-denial that's the easiest for us or the most likely is the stuff that we, we, we have this vision in our mind of here's what we want, here's what, you know, the product of it is. So I'm just going to kind of deny myself for this time, whether it's education whether it's the bad job that you have, I mean, whatever it is, um, the relationship that you're in that just doesn't seem to be really great at the moment, but you just want to be in a relationship, whatever it is, we do a lot of that. And I think the point that GS is making here is that this is all going to be the same, but understand the only kind of self-denial that's ultimately going to you know, lead to uh, an actual product of, of God doing something and you coming along with me is has to be in the form of, um, you know, it's everything. It's, it's not just a few things. <laughs> it's, all, it's all of it kind of combined. Every area of your life, every aspect of it has the potential to, um, you know, uh, for God to recreate, uh, for God to, to use to recreate in this environment. And so rather than just think, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and build a building and not, not think about all the things that are important around it, or I'm going to go ahead and go to war but not think about all the, the people it's going to affect. Jesus is saying, this is going to affect everything. You're not going to be able to just deny yourself along like a small line of things to get to this one goal of job, degree, relationship. I'm planning on, on doing it all. And so that's the whole idea, that it's ineffective apart from a desire for God to recreate us. If you don't really want God to recreate who you are and don't trust that you know, who you are apart from him is, uh, you know, is, is not the ideal, ideal, then, you know, self-denial is going to have very moderate, uh, mild, or maybe non-existent effects on you. Um, but true self-denial is about, uh, you know, really creating, uh, having a desire for God uh, to do things in us. And with that, 
I think probably one of the most important things that we ought to understand about self-denial is we tend to think about self-denial in terms of how can I help other people, and that's okay. But remember, all of that has to be motivated out of a desire for God. Because if you don't desire God and you desire directly to help someone else, most likely you're not really going to remember who God is and how God would treat this person. And I think that's what's so interesting here is self-denial is probably one of, and you could even say suffering is this way too, one of the most surefire ways to connect with God when you've lost a connection with him or when you feel um, kind of just in a stagnant place is being able to deny yourself and empty so that, like what we talked about at first, so that you can hear from God. So it's, you know, again, ineffective apart from a desire for God. Uh, really, you could just stop there, not even to recreate us, because, I mean, that's what happens, but it's ineffective apart from a desire for God. And that's why Jesus talks in all these harsh terms, is because he says, I'm going to recreate these relationships for you, and you better sit and think whether you, need, you even want that to happen, because if you're in it for one specific thing, <laughs> this isn't going to work. Uh, Ready? And then the last one is, is I think, one that's probably self-explanatory or at least obvious to us, and it's just that it can't be done through effort alone. Um, self-denial is really a byproduct of enjoying God and, and following him, which sounds a little bit strange. But you think about the kinds of pain and suffering some of the um, you know, early uh, disciples and the apostles had, and they found joy in being able to suffer for, for, you know, the cause. And some of that was because there's something innate in this kind of denying ourselves, this sort of pain um, of, of, you know, suffering for the right reasons that really does remind us of why we're doing this in the first place. It's kind of like what we talked about already. I mean, if you're, you know, in the midst of a tough relationship or a degree or whatever else, the self-denial kind of makes you stop, halt, and think, is this worth it? <laughs> and so it's the same, I think, in our relationship with, with God, is that you know, we can't just do this stuff on our own. It is, uh, it's really a byproduct. It comes from you know, enjoying God. Uh, I take you back to that shepherd passage of you know, that we know that he's our good shepherd and that he's only our best interest in mind. And that's what enables and allows us, allow us to like, trust him enough to really deny um, the things that, uh, that we think are right or ought to be done. For this passage, I said Luke 19. It's 18 through 27. What did I say? Luke 9? I'm at 9. <laughs> You're like, oh, I'll start halfway through. Sounds good. So once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked, Who do the crowd say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others that one of the prophets long ago come back to life. What about you, he said. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Interesting. I've mentioned this a variety of times, but I think it is important. Jesus gives us one daily command, and here it is right here. 
For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Um, so this is another one of those passages that's kind of all over the place and hard to, uh, you know, to make sense of, particularly this ashamed thing, because we don't use this word very often. What do you think he's saying here about self-denial? Mm-hmm. What else? Sort of like just expanding on her thought, like um, choosing each day to deny whatever it is that we want in order to reach our goals, in order to make sure that we're reaching God's. Like if we're not, um, like if we're going after God, but something comes in the way that we want, that we know would stray us from that path, having to look at that and deny that and having to do it, like, yeah, each day. I think one of the really important aspects here is this whole thing that he tells them, which is impossible to, to explain how important this would have been for them to hear and understand. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's, um, it's important to, um, to just see that this whole passage is set up by him asking the apostles, who am I? Like, who do you think I am? And the reason why it mattered in this case is because he was about to tell them something that was going to go against everything they understood for what Jesus the Messiah was supposed to be about. This Messiah person was not supposed to suffer, uh, or if he did, it was a suffering servant, you know, not a suffering person hanging on the cross. He wasn't supposed to be rejected by everyone. He was supposed to be lauded by people, praised by people. Um, And so this was about to challenge their very identity uh, and he was going to test whether or not, you know, this, them believing in who he was, uh, was going to um, translate into them being willing to, to lose everything that they had thought before was how the Messiah ought to work and operate. And that's this whole shame passage. He's just like, listen, if you're in this because of a reputation or because of your own agenda, it's not going to work out well for you because this is where I'm headed. Um, and so I think, you know, this is where this self denial thing kind of comes back to, it's really pretty um, impossible to do self-denial apart from a real love and enjoyment of God. Because you think about it like the parable that Jesus gives, which is loosely related, where, you know, one demon is swept clean and then seven come back. (laughs) Like, if we empty ourselves, we allow for other things to fill us. It could be church doctrine, it could be relationships in the church, it could be a lot of other things that could be equally devastating as the stuff that was there before, or even more devastating. (laughs) And so the point of self-denial always goes back to, do I enjoy God? Do I believe he is who he says he is? Um, And am I willing to follow him, or am I ashamed of 
you know, what it is that, uh, that is about to happen to him, which uh, would have been very shameful and, of course, was shameful and caused Peter to, you know, deny him three times uh, and yet uh, still, you know, be forgiven for those things. So, yeah, so those are the three things I wanted to talk about. I have a couple of sort of closing questions, but just to remind you that self-denial empowers us rather than it weakens us. It's, it's really ineffective apart from a desire for God. And it can't be done through effort alone. It's really a byproduct of enjoying God and following Him. So I can try my best to, to do self-denial, but it's not going to be very helpful apart from, um, you know, me you know, following God and, and really enjoying Him. So a couple questions. Uh, one is in terms of practical, how does self-denial kind of change our habits? How does practicing self-denial sort of change our habits? Yeah, sorry, yeah. Good question. I'm not just looking good at that transition stage. I think it helps slow down our reaction time. Um, we react often out of what's in my best interest, what is threatening my interest, but it allows us to slow down and kind of process things uh, when we, you know, do self-denial. Others, just ways that it could, you see it changing our, your habits or our habits. Yeah, I don't think there's truly small stuff, I think, when it comes to self now, because any moment gives us the opportunity to, you know, kind of connect with God. It's like that Brother Lawrence book that's, like, all about him connecting to God most when he's doing dishes. <laughs> that's literally a, a classic of Christianity, him talking about learning how to pray when you're doing small tasks, particularly tasks of self now. Anything else? Changing the habits? I guess we're kind of running out of time. The final question that we can talk about a little bit, and then... Um, I think we'll probably pick up on next time as we uh, have some more um, kind of specific uh, conversations about self-denial and how it affects our relationship with others. But is how does self-denial help us love God? 
and then you know of course vice versa. Our love for God help us uh, do self-denial. Isn't that vice versa? And how does love for God... Yes, absolutely. That's a vague vice, vice versa. <laughs> yeah. So how does self-denial help us love God? And how does loving God help us do self-denial? Yeah. That's funny. So you're saying that more of how does it help us obey God? Um, how does help self denial? No, no, I guess I didn't answer the question. Or how does love for God help us do something? Um, uh, how does self denial? In serving, in self denial, usually you're not just denying yourself to deny yourself, but to serve others. And right. So, like, in in loving God, like He says, the way that you express love for is to serve others. There we go. That's probably a good one. Yeah, notes. <laughs> Self denial. Oh. I, I think your first answer was also good because obedience to God is loving God. It's like, true. That's, yeah. so, that's why I was asking. Okay. Yeah. Because how can you love and respect a parent if you then just like set their house? Or aren't willing to do things that we don't want to do, but they're asking us to do. Sure. Well, this one we can we can ponder on, okay? Ponder on that one. Pick up on it next time, because that is our transition. Is uh, going to be talking a little bit more about self-denial as not so much directed uh, at God alone, but um, as practiced with other people. Cool. Sounds good. Closing questions, thoughts? No. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.